we got to go with it, boys and girls, because uh, the signals are looking good. Ah, here we go. <laughs> it's been going for 50 seconds and I've been studying like a lemon. Uh, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to VOX World. It's been a hiatus for me and I don't know if you can tell that by the fact that I've been uh, just kind of rambling for the last 50 seconds trying to see whether or not this is live. Having been live the entire time, um, I've been away for two months. Uh, a lot of that time I have indeed had a, a small child. Uh, namely a baby, and uh, my world has been, uh, yeah, rocked again, once again, for the second time in life. And so, uh, but we're back now, we're back in the hot seat. Uh, ben has been, uh, you know, carrying the torch and has been rocking it with uh, Conversation Squared podcast. I don't know if you've been listening to those, uh, probably every fortnight or so, Ben McCulloch uh, will publish and has been publishing some epic interviews with a whole bunch of different conversation designers uh, getting into best practice in conversation design on the VWX World podcast, so I definitely recommend you check that out. Uh, also, what's been going on since I've been away is uh, we are hosting our very own conference, the first conversation design conference ever in life to be held in person. It's going to be happening on uh, July the 24th and 25th. I almost forgot what date it was there. July 24th and 25th in London. It's co-organized by VUX World and Labworks. And we are going to have an absolutely fantastic show that we are putting on. The who's who of the conversation design industry is going to be there. Mr. Brett, the voice book Kinsella is going to be there presenting a unique report that we've had him commission all around the state of the conversation design industry. We're going to be hearing from Lisa Foxton. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Rebecca Evanhoe, uh, uh, you know, Greg Bennett. The who's who is going to be there in conversation design. And so you can get your tickets right now if you go to uh, unparsedconf.com and if you use the promo code VUXWORLD, you will save 50% on your tickets. Remember, July 24th and 25th and it's going to be absolutely amazing. Look forward to seeing you there. Unparsedconf.com Before that, we are going to be at Rework. So Rework is hosting the second uh, edition of the Conversational AI Summit in London again in May. The dates are May the 16th and 17th. Well worth taking a look. I went there last year. It was a decent event. Uh, lots of really good speakers, lots of really good content. And so if you are interested in doing something before Unpars and you want to whet your appetite, so to speak, then head over to Rework's Conversational AI Summit. It is definitely well worth attending. May 16th and 17th. And to find out more about that, you can go to rework re work dot core forward slash events and uh who knows we might see you there so i'm looking forward to that uh now then on with the show on with today's show after we've been uh gallivanting around over the first uh first few minutes there uh today we are talking to yvonne zugragan of uh swisscom swisscom's second appearance uh on vux world we had roger dill who was on with pear otterson who's the ceo of artificial solutions they were on the podcast probably about two years ago now perhaps and Roger was sharing a load of information and loads of insights and details around how Swisscom are utilising conversational AI. Uh, Yvonne has been there for a number of years, been a conversation designer, working on a lot of these applications, is now a product owner and uh, managing a lot of these these applications and so we're going to get into a really good conversation about that transition from going to conversation designer to going to product owner. I know there's a lot of you out there who are conversation designers now or senior conversation designers and you may be thinking about kind of your career progression and how you would make a transition from working day-to-day on designing conversations to then actually having responsibility for the direction and delivery of conversational products. So we're going to get into a whole bunch of different uh, insights that, that Yvonne's going to share with you about uh, what that role is all about and uh, and how she's enjoying it. So without further ado, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Yvonne. Welcome to VWX World. 
Hi, Shane. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Good. Now, I mentioned How the Rework Summit. Yeah. We met at the Rework Summit last year, didn't That's we? actually correct. Yeah, I thought it was the same when you just mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. So Let's that is the value of these in-person events, isn't it? Is you make new connections, you meet new people, and uh, that's what it's all about. Yes, that's true, yeah. Indeed. So tell us about yourself, Yvonne. I kind of mentioned it a little bit in the intro there. You've been at Swisscom for, for a while. You've got a lot of experience in conversation design. It's always nice to hear a little bit uh, you know, about your journey and, and where did the interest in conversation design come from and, and what have you been doing for the past few years? Yes, um, correctly. Um, I've been with Swisscom actually for almost five years now. Um, I, I have a background initially in computation and linguistics and German linguistics, um, but uh, I, I never was really interested in the whole coding aspects or, or training models. I, I always focused more on the human part on technology. Um, and when I then started in, at Swisscom, I, I started as a UX researcher background. So I mainly um, did usability testing or interviews with, cust with customers, stuff like this. Um, that's also how, in, how I got in touch with the conversational AI department at that time. Uh, I did some research for them and I realized that's actually um, a pretty interesting field <laughs> and um, also brings up brings kind of together my, my interest in language and technology and humans, which uh, uh, fit very, very well. Um, so I took over then a position as a conversational um, designer there. Um, uh, did also a lot of business engineering. Um, I, was, I was actually employed on the, the business side, um, so, but always working in, in, the, in the actual team that implemented the chat and was both at that time for Swisscom. Um, yeah, and now almost a year ago, I took over a new challenge as a, a product owner in the same, actually the same division, but uh, yeah, different role. Nice. And so you study computer linguistics. Correct. What are the kind of, if you study, because a lot of people who are in conversation design are linguists by trade, you know, um, yeah. and, and kind of end up in conversation design. Was this a forecasted career path for you when you study computer linguistics like what is it that you're studying if it's not something that is ultimately about human computer interaction and conversational ai actually at that time it was mostly about um machine translation um conversational ai for example was not really a huge part of it i imagine that it's different nowadays <laughs> or at least i hope so that this is a bigger topic also in, in computational studies um, but I, I wouldn't say that this necessarily is the way to go if you want to become a conversational desire, designer. Um, I, I also I think, especially my, my background also in, in German studies, um, I have profited a lot from this, benefited a lot from this, uh, knowing how communication works and uh, yeah, how, how also human maybe um, communicate with uh, technology or computers. Mm. And what kind of, when you started getting into conversation design at Swisscom, what kind of applications were you working on? Was it chat? Was it voice? I know Swisscom do a lot of stuff on a lot of different yes. devices and set-top boxes and a whole bunch of different sort of use cases and surfaces. Like where did your journey start and what kind of use cases were you working on? Uh, well, when I started, we, we had basically three projects, three main projects, the, the chatbot for our residential customers. So when you had a, like a problem with your Swisscom subscription or whatever, you can 
contact us over that chatbot. Um, we did also the CIVR, conversational IVR, um, which was mainly um, routing based that time. So we didn't focus on automation yet. Uh, it was mostly about um, bringing the, the, the caller to the correct agent who can help uh, them. And we had the third project, the, the TV box, uh, voice, uh, voice box, where you could uh, use voice commands to, to uh, use your TV. Um, exactly. This project until now is not really something we work on anymore, unfortunately. Um, and at the moment, we're mainly focusing on, on chatbot, but also CIVR becomes more and more of a topic uh, regarding automation. We definitely want to grow there as well. Mm. As we well, so there was a lot of stuff around um probably i can't specifically remember what year it was but it was obviously when alexa had kind of created this first wave of conversational kind of user interfaces if you like i know open ai and, and chat gpt are, are making i suppose more progress towards that vision than than amazon did but that was the first time for me at least i kind of thought well this technology really should be across all different surfaces. Doesn't matter what kind of device it is, TVs, watches, earphones, like all these different devices are going to have a, a unique kind of unifying capability, which is going to be the conversational UI. And so you had a lot of different use cases that came out of that. You had, um, you know, Disruptal, for example, who are working with the likes of Netflix and others to try and take data that's happening on screen so that you can ask questions about it, like what jacket is James Bond wearing or whatever it might be. You had Comcast, who I think probably around about the same time as Swisscom ended up kind of deploying uh, on set-top boxes for voice control and stuff like that. So you had a lot of these experimental use cases where the the use case fit seemed perfect. Who, who enjoys using a remote control, especially if you want to search for something? It's an absolutely uh, the worst kind of UI ever. Um, and so I'm curious about sort of like from Swisscom's perspective, what, it, how did that go? Like, you know, you put voice activation and, and voice search and stuff like that onto set top boxes and all that kind of stuff. Like, and you mentioned that it's, that's kind of like not so much a thing anymore. Was that, is that because it wasn't really being used? Is it because there was other complications? Like what are your thoughts generally on, on how that kind of went? Um, I wasn't so much involved back then. It was mainly focused on chatbot. But um, for how I understand it, it was it's definitely because people didn't really use it here in Switzerland. Um, we, um, I think, with the whole language, uh, like Swiss German variation we have here in Swiss in Switzerland, it, it's always it was always a bit of a struggle um, getting people to use uh, voice uh, controlled devices because you need to to use like high German, which feels sometimes like a different language for us. It's, it doesn't come very naturally. And I think it was just too early back then with those Swiss German um, models not being there yet, or people not also not being used to, to use voice-based uh, technology. And um, I think that's one of, that's at least how I see it, I don't know if that's one of the main reasons why we didn't really continue that path. But I mean, still, our customers have their Swisscom TV box at home. They have they, their device, which can be voice controlled as in the future. Um, it's not like we are not thinking in that direction right now. But at the moment, it's not. Uh, I, can, I can definitely imagine that in the future we'll also continue there. Yeah, I, I think... 
I think the language the language component is crucial, isn't it? You know, like if if you have if you don't have the ability to provide something in the kind of I suppose for want of a better phrase the native tongue sort of thing, and you're forcing people to speak in a slightly different dialect, like the value of the conversational interface is that it bends to your needs rather than you bend into it. So I imagine that could have been a, a a bit of a a bit of a barrier. But I think in theory, you know, that that as a use case is still a a good fit for you know a voice a voice UI. So, so, what is it that you're doing now? Then, are you still working on the chatbot side of things? I wonder if you can describe your role as it is today. Yeah, it's actually both. So, in my team, we have uh, both uh, working on on CIVR and chatbot uh, at the same time. So, yes, um, yeah, that's what I'm. And uh, but basically, I have a team of uh, eight people at the moment. Yes, um, and yeah, I see myself somehow in the middle between actual business requirements for, for chatbot and CIVR and uh, the implementation that actually happens then afterwards in my team, kind of uh, stakeholder management requirements, refinement of features, uh, prioritization afterwards, and yeah, making sure the team knows what to do <laughs> and what uh, that the natural benefit comes out of, of what we do for, for our customer and also for business. Yeah, and so what kind of um, what kind of roles are in that team? You mentioned there's about eight eight or so people. Like, can you describe oh, to me the the makeup of skill sets that you've got? Uh, it's actually a pretty diverse group with different um, know how and skills that which makes it very interesting. I think um, so. We have like your classical software engineers, um, but we also have what we call them knowledge engineers. So people who uh, build like or implement the dialogues uh, of our uh, chatbot or voicebot. Then we have, of course, conversational designer um, and also people coming from a more business-oriented uh, perspective, like uh, business engineering, who know the, the whole processes behind uh, the ones we are actually trying to um, automate in the end, yes. Mm. And do you kind of bring those people in as and when kind of thing, you know, because I imagine different departments you work with, you're going to have the requirement for different subject matter experts and stuff like that. So do, does that team change when you go into different projects or is it fundamentally the same? The no, same at the moment it doesn't change. Um, at the moment it's, it's, it's those people who who um, are like the, the, the introduction of this, to these different departments that we actually work with. Them. So um, yeah. they... Uh, and yeah, no, it doesn't change at the moment. That makes sense. Um, you mentioned a few things there about, you know, one of the roles in as a product owner now is things like defining the roadmap and defining features and things like that. And for conversational applications, you've got, on the one side, you've got stakeholders that want something. Mm-hmm. Um, it should do this, it should do that. We should have it do this, that, and the other. Um, on the other side, you've got actual users talking to the thing every day and you know i've I've found that most of the time what stakeholders want doesn't always coincide with what users are actually doing and so there's a risk there that actually you end up prioritizing a whole bunch of features and spend a whole load of time and effort building stuff that just doesn't 
actually matter for the end users. And at the same time, you've got end users having conversations with it about things that, you know, a business stakeholder might look at and think, well, why are we answering questions like that? And so a business stakeholder is not going to prioritize certain things because it's probably seen not to add a credible amount of value. However, when a user is having a conversation with this thing, every time that thing doesn't understand it them and doesn't respond to them accordingly, it lets their experience suffer. So mm-hmm. how do you balance the kind of requirements from internal stakeholders saying we want it to do this and the realities of what customers are actually having conversations about today? <laughs> Well, that's that's a that's a constant balancing act. Yeah, in um, in reality, let's say, um, and probably one of my key challenges as a product owner to to find that balance and to level it out uh, in both directions, right? Experience, business requirements, and what is actually possible from an implementation point of view is also something sometimes completely different, right? Um, and yeah, it's it's usually I have to take this uh, case by case and really also go into discussion with with the stakeholders to understand their needs but also collaborate very closely with our engineers or people the people in my team who actually implement and and then of course on the other hand also understand the customers and how they use our systems and then that's that's kind of the how i see my role as a bit of someone as someone who has the overview on on all the these three aspects and tries to bring them together. Um, and that's also what makes it really interesting in the end. Yeah. But in the end, it's, it's not like I have a perfect solution to this. It's, it's um, yeah, really day by day, it's, it's different. Sometimes uh, I need to also um, push back on experience side, make, make, make maybe someone on business side a bit more happy. And then on the other uh, next day, maybe I can also bring some more experience uh, related things uh, forward. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really cool. Because mm. it's it's interesting because you've got kind of like, in some cases, you might be tempted to kind of go with the flow for the sake of kind of building relationships and keeping people happy. Because ultimately, the stakeholders that you're working with, if you're not working necessarily either you're not working directly with their department but you might be in future so you need relationships to be built and foundations to be laid so that you've got things can kick off on a, on a good foot when the timing is right at the same time if you are working directly with their department you kind of you still need their support because you're going to need access to their resources and systems and this that, and the other and so you, there's a temptation sometimes to sort of like you know let certain things slide or do certain things for the sake of building the relationship knowing that what you do isn't ultimately going to even be used sometimes. I mean, we've built things in the past where, you know, it's like, okay, fine, we'll just do that to sort of keep you happy because we don't want to just say no to absolutely everything all the time, you know? And so, <laughs> so, so you end up kind of building things that you know are not going to necessarily be used and then don't get used. But then it's kind of like, how do you kind of like pursue the conversation next time around about, well, we're not going to do that this time because last time we did that, it didn't get used because that's a potential difficult conversation to have. I wonder if you've been in a situation like that before where you've kind of, you've gone along with something because you want to kind of build a relationship, but then, you know, it can sometimes, um, yeah, proving that what you did hasn't been used and you said it wouldn't be used is, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of pill to swallow for some people sometimes. Very helpful and also um, see that people 
outside of our conversational AI department understand its data. So if I if we have a lot of data, what our customer actually ask and what they do in our systems, and and if I if I bring in um, or, uh, those those data as, as an argument, usually this um, helps. And sometimes it's not not that easy to find the right data <laughs> to back yeah. up your arguments. Um, and this is these are usually the cases where you just end up doing what business wants, right? Um, but whenever whenever I see, I I also need to. I mean, I have a lot of experience, and um, I also sometimes I need to listen to my gut feelings and try to to find the right data to um, to, to really show how 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 customers actually use uh, the system and, and how, how they can benefit or what they actually need. Um, and usually I, I find that, um, I mean, business is also interested in helping our customers in the end. And um, if, if, you bring, if you bring those two things together, like their interest and the data, then you, then you, you might find um, spots or, or cases where, where um, both can actually benefit from what we do in our uh, conversational AI area. Mm, absolutely, and that's the goal, isn't it? You want to align customer needs and business needs. And there is there is some things that there won't be any evidence of customers requiring, but it's a good thing to have in there. Questions around if somebody asks, what is this call being recorded? What do you do with my data? Can you delete my data? Who where's it stored? Who's got access to it? You know, this is stuff that. This conversation might never happen, but if it does happen, it's a, such a value-added kind yes. of capability to be able to have a conversation with a customer about their data and their privacy, because those are the conversations that are going to really build trust with certain customers. If a customer is asking about that stuff, they're obviously concerned about it, potentially not wanting to have a conversation with this assistant through fear of privacy and security. So the ability to be able to answer those questions is a real trust builder, but it might never happen. So is it is it the right thing to do to build that stuff in there as a sort of comfort blanket in case, or should you worry about doing other things where you have data to support the need for? Well, we started, we start, definitely started on the side where we saw um, business need and also where we had like those huge use cases that were obviously uh, often asked. And then at some point we realized it's, it's just not enough that we need to, to distribute the, um, the, the knowledge of our, our chatbot, for example, uh, broader than but um, in, a, in a simple way. So what we do right now is that we have basically those short FAQ answers for, for basic needs or basic uh, questions that might not occur so often. Um, and whenever we see use cases that are more complex and more frequent, um, that we try to go in a more transactional um, end-to-end uh, er um, direction to, to also solve the the use case within within that, for example, the chatbot. Uh, yeah, and I think that's that's uh, we we make good experience with this combination that we try to build up those use cases that um, are are more complex or more uh, more often asked as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So so you've spent a lot of time designing conversations. You are now in the product owner sort of position as we said at the beginning of the podcast there'll be people who are in conversation conversation designers right now uh looking at things like career progression and all that kind of stuff like 
going from a conversation designer to a product owner, what were some of the things that were most notable in terms of either differences or learning experiences or just kind of things that that have changed, I suppose, from your old role to this role? So the main the main change was probably that I'm not so that I'm more able to influence what ha- what is been done, what has happened, so in the future on on the long term as well, um, and not so much the, the how it actually is implemented anymore. And um, I, I at the beginning I was a bit worried about this change because I was I always thought of myself as a very hands-on person and I liked. The, the actual doing as well, but but um, I, I now I absolutely realize that I'm um, I'm in the right place with also like the, what I just described about having the overview. Um, with my experience, I know the people in the company. I I know how how our um, division works, how how people use uh, conversational AI at Swisscom, and yeah, it's just just the, the right place for me to, to also bring that knowledge to, to my team and to enable them in their, um, in their daily work to take, so they can also benefit from this. Um, yeah, so the biggest change is probably that, that I'm not so much hands-on anymore, but uh, that's okay for me right now. Because mm. I suppose for some conversation designers that love designing conversations, um, yet probably want more... I mean, a lot of conversation designers are, are heavily involved in in the strategy formation mm-hmm. side of things and, and all that kind of stuff and road mapping and stuff like that. Um, but there's always that kind of transition. And I suppose it's it's the same when you go into any management position in any company yeah. anywhere, you know, you, yeah. you're doing less. In the end, it's also about it's about the culture in your team, probably you have then. I mean, it's, it's like we, we still have those sessions where, those conversational designers bring their designs, for example, into the team and we challenge them together and discuss them. And that's something I am also involved sometimes. So I can still take a bit of an interest there and also influence it a bit. If, if I really see I, I have an opinion about something I want to bring to their attention. I, But in the end, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a natural change. If you go on with, with in a different role, you have different responsibilities then. Mm. Do you find yourself so the first time I ever went into a, a kind of management position, one of the things that was not not necessarily a challenge, but I just couldn't help myself, was that you go from do it from being knee deep in the work to then managing the work and a team, and there's a temptation, and I think I'm still probably guilty of this in some sometimes, which is that there's a temptation to whenever there's an output you judge the output in line with your own expectations of yourself and how you would have done something and how you would approach a certain thing. And so there's a kind of fine balance, especially if you're really passionate about something like conversation design, there's a fine balance between empowerment and um, kind of autonomy, which you have to give to the team. And that kind of like, now focusing on the output and the deliverables, but still having a real deep passion about the experience. Mm -hmm. And so there's a sort of fine line where there's a risk of either being a real kind of micromanager, which obviously you don't want to be. But at the same time, you've got experience 
And so it's kind of, there's a fine line, isn't there, when you go from practically working on something day to day to then managing something, you have to sort of find a way to, to almost get out of the way in some instances. Don't sweat the small stuff and, and almost kind yeah. of just raise the big stuff, you know. Yes, yes, I know that feeling very well. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, I also don't have really the solution, but I think it also, trust is probably an important uh, uh, keyword here. If you, if you trust your team and also if you have good people in your team, then, then you know you can trust them and doing your good work. And I think whenever you do, for example, feature refinement, uh, discuss uh, potential new topics we want to implement, uh, I think I can... I still, I can still bring this kind of passion into the discussion, and they they also take over a bit. Uh, they see why it's important, and I can still stress that very much. And I think that's a yeah, it's it's a it's a, just a different way of, of influencing things. In the end, it's it's a, yeah, it's in there. Yeah, I, I, but in the end, I need to trust them, and it, sometimes this <laughs> works better than sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Mm. What were some of the, I suppose, more surprising parts? So we spoke about some things that are, that are sort of different, but what about like surprising things that you wouldn't have expected to be part of that this role? That's a good one. Well, in the end, it's it's also it's still very much about humans, right? Uh, if you, if you're a product owner. Uh, First, I was uh, designing conversation for humans in order to make them understand <laughs> or to, you know, in order to make them uh, being able to communicate with our uh, conversational AI. And now, now I, I still kind of translate uh, between humans, but in a different uh, environment, maybe, or a different level. So I, I also think, in a way, it hasn't changed a lot. It's, uh, it's just a different level now um, of, of, uh, of, of area of influence is different now. But, mm. yeah. Nice. Taras, Taras has commented saying, I won't judge your temptations, Ken. So Taras runs our marketing and uh, <laughs> maybe maybe has fallen foul to uh, some of my, uh, some of the things we were just talking about there with me being, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I might, hopefully I don't micromanage. I really don't want because I don't have time to micromanage, but uh, every now and then it's like, what about this? What about that? What about that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, we we spoke a little bit there about stakeholder management, um, and one one side of that is taking you know requests and and roadmap items and features and things like that from uh, from stakeholders and and the balancing between what do we do because you want to do it versus what do we do because there's actually evidence suggesting we should do it, um, but also there's a bit that comes before that which is you're working on a new use case with a new department and not everybody as as hard as it is for me to believe not everybody is wildly passionate about conversational ai <laughs> and not everybody really or even understands conversational ai and so you've got this potential gap between business stakeholders and the people who you need within a certain department to be able to bring these things to life and their kind of expectations and understanding of what's possible, how to go about it, and all that kind of stuff. So, 
does is those are those conversations that you still have kind of frequently in terms of educating people about what's possible and educating people about the scope and limitations and things like that? Or has Swisscom developed a level of maturity where, you know, you've been doing it for so long, you've worked with lots of different departments and so the level of understanding is kind of up there? Um, I would say it's better now than like maybe three or four years ago. Um, it's also, of course, we have a good momentum right now with all the hot topics uh, and, and um, people are more and more understanding. I mean, three years ago when I told them I'm working on a chatbot, some people didn't even know we had a chatbot within Swisscom. <laughs> and now I think um, it's, 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 it's known uh, that we have one and um, also what we do around CIVR is, is pretty um, common knowledge. And um, yeah, I see that there is also a lot of flexibility around this. Um, if, you, if you test other um, chatbots around and then you come with a certain image in your head and how this should work or why, why doesn't it work like this. Um, I asked it, but it didn't respond in a way that I would have expected it. And this is still something I, I, I um, have very often, yes. Um, and then usually, yeah, it just needs time to also bring these people um, up to date, what's, what's actually behind, explain them how we work. Um, and I think I find that people usually are quite interested, actually. Um, that, that has also changed over time now. Um, at least they see a benefit um, or they see also that, I mean, they also talk to different companies in Switzerland uh, over, over conversational AI now, and they, they realize um, that, that it's, it's a thing, right? Um, people are using it and um, this has definitely changed, yes. Mm. So it and, doesn't uh, that much convincing anyway. <laughs> That's good. What about expectations then? Because, you know, we are absolutely going through a kind of a, another hype cycle at the moment. You know, we went through it with Facebook Messenger. We went through it with Alexa. And now we're going through it again with, with OpenAI and, and ChatGPT. Has that affected expectations of, of people at Swisscom? Definitely, definitely, yes. Uh, well, internally, we're also heavily discussing how to make use of this uh, new um, open AI models and um, we're also experimenting in this area but that's not so much happening in my team right now um, because that's also how I see it at the moment whereas new topics arise you need to to investigate how you can use them on the, but on the other hand you still have your your goals and your daily business happening and you cannot so much as Press, press pause on this, right? So um, somehow you need to divide a bit how that some people um, take an interest or take a look at uh, how, how this technology can, how we can make a use of this technology, um, which we are definitely doing. And on the other hand, uh, the show must go on, right? Um, and we have people using uh, uh, chatbot uh, daily and um, and also calling us regularly <laughs> so it's not like we can just start again from scratch with something new mm, yeah absolutely and that's that's to be honest that that's that's kind of the best way anyway if you've got something that's already working then you know there's no need to just throw a new technology at it for the sake of throwing a new technology at it. like it was funny i've seen so many um 
kind of like briefs and stuff recently, which begin with, we need a chat GPT style bot that does this, this and this. And it's kind of like, okay, like, you know, so it's, it's catching people's imagination. The temptation is, you know, let's just throw it in there. Whereas, yeah, yeah I mean, I was, understanding, I was understanding you try it and it, it feels good. It's a good experience. And then you test our chatbot maybe and it's, it's different. <laughs> and then I also understand why people are asking, why aren't we there yet? And um, yeah. sometimes, uh, yeah, it's hard to explain. Yeah, yeah. But I think folding it into things is, is a a kind of a, a good way of going about it you know having it do things like generate training data for intents and basic stuff like that where there's nothing nothing you know impact on the front end especially for swisscom and the vast majority of businesses that isn't kind of snapchat like tongue-in-cheek sort of like playful brand doesn't really matter if we get things wrong kind of thing or for microsoft where it's quite obviously a, a kind of trial beta product with bing gpt so like for companies that are either a bit tongue-in-cheek or are quite blatantly doing things in a playground kind of environment it's a bit different the challenge is when you bring it into a, an enterprise where accuracy is absolutely paramount and when you're having a million conversations a month you can't afford for one percent of those conversations to not be accurate and so it's kind of you know folding it into the design phases is um is where i'm seeing a lot of uh, a lot of teams start and that's what we're doing that's what we're using it for mostly is things like that in generating intense generating training data you know uh, test data all that kind of stuff is uh seems to be seems to be all right there but I, I, I definitely wouldn't be advising at the moment to for a company like swisscom to be starting to you know push things out and have this thing manage conversations with customers at scale at the minute sure i agree yeah it's mad um so part of uh, i suppose it's it's kind of related in a sense that accuracy needing to be accurate needing to have information being accurate but you also need to have business processes being carried out in an accurate way, which again, potential some jubilation, some, uh, I was going to say jubilation, but that sounds a bit too much like jubilation. So there's some uh, cautiousness which you would need to have if you want to have an LLM be involved in managing a business process. Um, But the concept of uh, automating business processes using conversational AI is something that people are starting to get to. Like, you know, everyone starts typically or not everyone but a lot of companies start with like the faq stuff simple question and answer stuff and and then they will go to sort of like data retrieval so we'll use an api to pull data into a conversation uh retrieve data from business systems and stuff like that and then they'll kind of mature to the point where they feel comfortable enough to push data into systems and now you can start having transactions you know you can start conducting transactions and you can start to automate business processes but what most organizations do is they will start automating business processes based on the existing business process. So what do we do today? Let's automate that. And and that's fine if you've gone through a lot of work on, on your processes and you've, you've streamlined all your processes and you've got API access to everything and everything's kind of uh, streamlined. But a lot of businesses haven't done that work yet, haven't reorganize or streamline their processes and they're trying to kind of figure out how to make conversational automation work with essentially legacy processes as such i'm wondering what your experience is of 
approaching these more transactional use cases where it's not just about conversation design, it's about system architecture and sequencing and broader kind of business process management, fitting that into the wider business process. Like, I wonder if you can share some experiences and maybe some insights or tips in terms of how you've been approaching that. Um, it has definitely been a very interesting journey um, and we somehow, it feels like we've just started, but actually we have already done some quite interesting stuff. I feel like, for example, we have our, our billing system um, integrated into our chatbot. So if, if you have questions about your, your bill, uh, you cannot pay it on time, for example, it is now possible that you can uh, extend your payment deadline um, over the chatbot uh, and this is exactly what you described so we check first of course we need to make sure we know the customer so you need to be logged in and then we check whether you're um, you're uh, allowed to extend your payment deadline or not and um, we actually do this and write it back into our billing system so we don't send out <laughs> friendly reminders um, that you didn't pay your bill yet um, and this was probably one of our first use cases where we started with this um, and it was a lot of work um, it, exactly because what you just described it, it was process was always there the, the systems they behind the API they, they have been there for a long time and they weren't of course built for us to use it in conversational AI um, and yeah we just adopted it into our system and tried to build the whole conversation around it and make it work. Um, and, and obviously this is not an approach that is scalable, let's say. If you really do this for each use case, it, it takes a lot of time. Of course, if you have more and more experience, you also um, become faster, I would say. Um, but in the end, um, I also see that trying to find new use cases, we could do this. Um, we often stumble upon across those uh, APIs that were simply not, um, they don't fit our needs sometimes really. Um, but, um, the, one example is also um, that they, they fit a more UI-based um, need. For example, if you, we have our Swisscom app where you can do pretty much all that you can think of also self-service, which is pretty cool. But if you want to do things in a conversational way, then you have just different needs than sometimes uh, you have been at. But, and this is something that we are really in the middle at the moment that we um, approach people responsible for those uh, um, APIs and also to show them our needs. And the good thing is they usually understand um, our needs and they also see how, how we could benefit but I mean, in, if in a huge company like Swisscom, those processes, you cannot change them overnight. And just because there's a conversational AI department, uh, which needs something different, right? Um, at this takes time. Yeah. Maybe in time, if, and hopefully when the demand grows and grows and grows so that conversational AI aggregated across all channels becomes the predominant kind of contact channel, then, uh, Maybe that might change, but um, yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, so. Does Swisscom have kind of like a, a a kind of like homegrown kind of build it yourself sort of mentality? Do you tend to buy a lot of stuff off the shelf? It's all homegrown. Uh, we, we we like to build our stuff ourselves usually. 
yeah 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 that's fair enough yeah so it are probably uh you know a lot of their priorities is going to be you know managing maintaining um yeah. Kind of stuff, yeah. yeah yeah interesting no it's good it's good it's good stuff that um i think that you know when it comes to the business process side of things in time you know the conversation as i said if providing you can get to a place where your conversational interfaces are taking up a, a significant demand then the conversational ui becomes in a position to potentially start driving some of those processes because it's the only way like it's the only it's the only method of getting kind of real time feedback in a, in a specific process so if someone's filling in an online form or doing something on the website and stuff like that or in the app or something like that i mean most processes are probably going to be straightforward enough that you can do it online or you can do it in the app and stuff like that but it still doesn't stop people from calling it still doesn't you know that even if it's just 20 percent of your customer base that call you know that 20 percent across millions of customers is still millions of customers <laughs> and so you know and then also there's there's certain other ui benefits that you get from having a conversational interface you know speed and all that kind of stuff um but it, over time you know if, if conversational uis can get into a situation where they are the dominant kind of uh, interaction channel then you're getting data on those processes in real time that you can use to improve not just the business process but the business more generally you know and that doesn't in fact conversation there doesn't need to be the predominant channel for that to happen i'm sure that in swisscom you're getting data from conversations that relate to a different area of the business that you can use to inform that area about the of, of the business about certain product or service issues that they may not have been aware of because they're not involved in them conversations you know yeah that's that's something um, we actually just start doing, or at least I feel the way um, that we still do not leverage this enough in our company that we, we actually have re real-time feedback from our customer. Of course, if you call and then you, you speak to an agent, that's also, um, also real-time feedback. But in our case, um, if we really have the transcripts, we really have like uh, statistics also um, you can read through. Um, what the customer said or, or wrote, and um, this this really provides so much insight into what our customer needs and say and how they feel about it. There is a lot of emotion in there, um, and and that's something we just start uh, more and more using, and and also business of course sees a benefit in this. Yes, and also for example to help to help agents right with with the with the um, we don't have necessarily the the need to automate all the all the requests from our customers in the end some some cases will always uh, at least that's my opinion will always end up uh, with a human but if we if we manage to help the human solving uh, with with what we already know for example from from the previous conversation with the chat or voice bot that's that's uh, also a benefit right that's mm. absolutely absolutely Wicked. Any so final question? Any kind of advice to you know not just conversation designers, but anyone who's working in conversational AI field or or wants to work in the conversational AI field that would be useful for them if they're thinking about kind of being a product owner. 
Yeah, in, in the end, um, my, my feeling is that the, the, the network is very important there. So if you, if you work in a company or in the field of conversational AI, that you, that you also know your people around, that you know who, maybe at some point when you meet someone you don't know yet, this person could be interesting at some point for you if, you, if you're looking for a new opportunity. But um, this is definitely something um, that, that I, I, I found to be uh, very helpful uh, in these cases. Um, and in the end, yeah, always, always coming back to, to what makes you passionate about, uh, uh, also it's fun for you to go to work, actually think about this. And if you, if you take on a new opportunity on your job, um, keep that in mind, what makes you passionate and if this still applies in your new job as well. Nice. Perfect. Well put. Uh, very, very nice. Thank you so much, Yvonne, for joining us. Uh, thank you for, for tuning in. Apologies we started a little bit late, um, but uh, it was it was an immense conversation. I knew it would be. Um, it was a great conversation for anyone who is interested in conversational AI generally, but also if you're looking to try and become a product owner and make that transition. Um, a fantastic, uh, fantastic episode. Really appreciate that. Yvonne, and don't forget, Unpaused, 24th and 25th of July, in London this year, in person, the world's first conversation design conference. Visit unpassedconf.com, promo code VUXWORLD to save 50% on your early bird tickets. And also the Rework Conversational AI Summit in May this month, actually. It's in like two weeks' time, 16th and 17th of May, again in London. It's all happening in London right now. So please do uh, check it out and get yourselves there. And we'll see you uh, tomorrow. Uh, we've got another podcast episode tomorrow. We're coming thick and fast to see. We have a couple of months off while I'll go, and have, go away and selfishly have a baby. Uh, and then <laughs> and then we're back on track. Uh, we are talking with Nick Shepard tomorrow, uh, which is going to be absolutely immense. So please do tune in for that one. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks very much. <laughs>